Good morning. My name is Kevin Johnson. I'm pastor here at Macedonia United Methodist Church. I welcome you to our worship service today. This morning, um, we have a, a message about the power of confession as our lectionary gospel this morning is from Luke, the 18th chapter. A story that we have heard before, but I, I invite you to hear the details anew this morning as I read. Luke 18, starting verse 9. Jesus told this parable to certain people who had convinced themselves that they were righteous and who looked on everyone else with disgust. Two people went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself with these words, God, I thank you that I'm not like everyone else. Crooks, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I receive. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to look toward heaven. Rather, he struck his chest and said, God, show mercy to me, a sinner. I tell you, this person went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. All who lift themselves up will be brought low, and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O oh Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Jesus opens this story, right, when he says he's telling this parable to certain people who had convinced themselves that they were righteous. Not us, we might say. We wouldn't fit that category. But I am green. I bring my reusable bags to the store, looking on contempt with those people walking out with doubled plastic bags for their milk. Or I did everything to help my kids succeed, but I didn't hand them everything on a silver platter like I see those parents do now. Or I make sure my yard and my house look beautiful not like that eyesore, nasty greenhouse down the road. I have a good relationship with my parents, not like my friend who won't even talk to her parents. I can't believe she's getting away trying to wear those pants. At least I don't have a muffin top like that. I did just want to use the word muffin top in a sermon, sorry. I will never have to depend on someone else for money. I'm a self-made man. Jesus opened. Certain people had convinced themselves that they were righteous. Dave Zoll, in his book, Seculosity, talks about self-righteousness like this. He says, we want to feel good about ourselves, and so we edit our personalities to maximize the approval of others or we exaggerate hardships to make ourselves seem more heroic or others more villainous. The theological and psychological term for the energy we expend for the sake of feeling righteous is self-justification. 
and it cannot be overstated as a motivation in human affairs. If you want to understand what makes someone tick or why they're behaving the way they are, trace the righteousness in play and things will likely become clear. Your colleague who can't stop working, odds are she equates busyness with worthiness. Your perpetually single friend who can't seem to find someone who measures up to his standards, it could be that he's looking to another person to complete him, to make him feel like he's enough. What about you? Maybe the reason you can't stop scrolling through your social media feed is because it confirms how righteous your opinions about others or yourself are. Or maybe on some level you can barely admit to yourself you believe that if your latest post on Facebook gets enough likes, you will finally like yourself. Wherever you are most tired, look closely and you'll likely find self-justification at work, the drive to validate your existence, to assert your lovability via via adherence to some standard of enoughness, be it behavioral or conceptual, given or invented. Dang, right? So (laughs) the definition that, that is given of the word righteous in the dictionary is acting in accord with divine or moral law free from guilt or sin. Right? So acting in accord with divine or moral law also free from guilt or sin. So then to be self-righteous is to prove that we can act on, in accord with divine or moral law or be free from guilt or sin on our own. To do it by ourselves. We're look at a both these characters in this parable today in a certain way. First, I want to look at the Pharisee. I want to look at his position and posture. It says that he comes up to the temple in Jerusalem and he stands right up front in the temple. You've seen guys like the Pharisee. He walks in like he owns the place. And his posture is a proud and deserving stance. Stands tall before God like he's earned that position. And then his testimony, his witness before God and everyone else there is this, right? He says, I thank God that I'm not like evil people, like crooks and evildoers, right? Or adulterers, or even this tax collector over here. He immediately plays a comparison game, comparing himself to the other people there And then he tells us just how good he is, right? I fast two times a week, right? If you've fasted before, it's hard. Way to go, Pharisee, right? And then he says, I tithe. I give 10% of my income to God. It's like he is standing there saying, look at me, God. Look at how good I am. In fact, it says that in his prayer, he talks about himself. He's not talking about God. And who God is, right? He's talking about himself. Look at me, God. Look at how good I am. Or maybe it's more, look at me, self. Look at how good I am. Dave Zoll says it this way. He says, how sad that Christianity today has a reputation for self-righteousness that's more akin to Phariseeism than the gracious ethos of its founder. Too often that reputation is well-deserved. People who think they're good are usually pretty mean. They often feel good about being mean, right? So as the Pharisee stands up there, what he's basically saying is, 
I thank you, God, that I am not like this scum of the world over here. And then the tax collector comes into the scene, right? The tax collector who is not, in my, in my mind, I'd imagine this tax collector would be like a homeless guy sitting in the back of, of church, but he's not. The tax collector was a shrewd businessman at the time, a pretty wealthy person, and yet he stands back in the room, doesn't even feel worthy to come close towards the front. And then he bends low, it says. He beats his chest while he prays. His stance displays an attitude of unworthiness. In some traditions, people bow before the table when they come. Sometimes you'll see our choir bow before the table when they come forward for communion, just as a sign of, of reverence and honor. In the Anglican church where I work, the pastor's office, uh, the associate priest's office, was, was literally just like right there in this church. And so every time, he, whenever he would leave his office, he had to walk in front of the table. And this guy, Father Michael, you would never catch him walk in front of it without doing this, which you might... Some of it to you might appear as like that's superstitious or something like that, but to him it was deeply reverential. It reminded him of his position before God every single time he walked in front of that table. Romans 3 says this, it says, There is no righteous person, not even one. There is no one who understands, there is no one who looks for God. They all turned away. They have all become worthless together. There is no one who shows kindness, there is not even one, right? And so then we learn, what, we learn what this tax collector's confession is. We learn what his testimony is, and that is this, right? God, show mercy to me, a sinner. Gone is the self-justification of the Pharisee, right? It's simply, God, show mercy to me. I need mercy. Show mercy to me, a sinner, he identifies who he is. In some church traditions, and in fact, in, if you grew up Methodist and a long time ago, you might have prayed this prayer every time as part of the communion liturgy. It's called the Prayer of Humble Access. It says this, We do not presume to come to this your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord whose property is always, always to have mercy. Grant us therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be clean, made clean by his body, and our souls washed in and through his most precious blood, and that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Amen. Friends, confession frees us from having to be righteous on our own. I hate to tell you, but we can't do it, right? It's sort of the point of the Pharisee's thing. Even though he, he was fasting twice a day and giving 10% of his income, he still was not made right before God by any of those actions. Confession, God, show mercy to me, a sinner, like that tax collector, is essential to being able to receive grace. Confession put that tax collector in the position and the posture to receive grace. And friends, ultimately, confession reminds us who we are. 
I need you to hear this today. The purpose of confession is not to remain feeling awful about yourself. Sometimes we get this guilt complex thing when we talk about the word confession, right? That says, like, I'm going to think about all the bad stuff I've done, and I'm going to keep replaying it and repeating it all of the time. Friends, it is not that people are just bad all the way through and without hope. That's not the message of the Christian gospel. But it's also not that people are pretty good and not in any need of confession either. Friends, we need mercy. We need it. We are unrighteous. And we need God's righteousness. We need God's righteousness. The good news is this, right? We are created good by God. God made everything good at the beginning. And yet we are all sinful and not righteous before God. At some point, we decide to be selfish beings. Whether we know it or not, it happens. And there is nothing that we can do to be right enough before God. So Jesus comes to us, dies for us, and rehabilitates us to be able to be righteous. And yet we are continually in need of praying throughout our lives. God, show mercy to me, a sinner. And every time we do, we are always forgiven. Friends, that's the good news. It is that every time we confess, Jesus forgives us. And the other part of that good news is that Jesus makes us more and more like him. So that as we confess, we get deeper and deeper into the life of God. And maybe we got a little less to confess the next go-round, right? That God is in the business of making us more like him. What's interesting when Jesus starts this parable, right? He says, Jesus told this parable to certain people who had convinced themselves they were righteous and who looked on everyone else with disgust. Commentary I read this week said this, the nature of grace is paradoxical. It can be received only by those who have learned empathy for others. Only the merciful can be shown mercy. Only those who forgive will be forgiven. We pray this paradox every week when we pray the prayer Jesus taught us. We might just breeze through it, but right, we say, forgive us our trespasses, what? As we forgive those who trespass against us. It sort of seems like what we're praying every week is that our forgiveness from God is contingent on us being able to forgive someone else, right? Which stinks, right? That's hard stuff. That our forgiveness from God seems dependent upon our ability to forgive others. That the only way we place ourselves in a position to receive God's grace is by placing ourselves in a position to be able to understand and empathize and forgive others, right? Friends, what we are saying to God when we come before him is, I don't deserve your grace. Neither does anyone else. And I'm not better than them or more deserving, but you offer it freely. So friends, we come today to this table with open hands, all of us beggars, hoping to just receive a morsel and God gives to us his very self in Jesus. Would you pray with me?
Lord, make us into people who stop trying to self-justify. God, we, we get so good at it. Whatever it looks like. We play comparison games with our neighbor or with our fellow church member or with our family. Proving whether to others or to ourselves that we belong, that we are somehow more deserving. And God, what we are reminded of in this story today is that the one who is made right before you is not the one who has done all the right things, but rather the one who honestly comes into your presence. For God, you are the creator of the universe, and you call us to follow you, and we fail in it. And yet you love us anyway. And you give to us your son, who covers our guilt and sin and welcomes us to follow him into a kingdom way of living and indeed into eternal life. God, we thank you for that grace that is greater than all of our sin. And we pray that daily you would remind us of that great grace for us. God, that you would remind us of the great symbol of our faith that is the cross, an instrument of death. So that you would remind us of your great love poured out for us each and every day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.